Yesterday marked the first day of spring. Here in Florida, we don't have to worry about melting snow or warmer days, but many of us mark the season with a little spring cleaning, especially when it comes to the garage. With no attic or basement, my garage becomes the dumping ground and storage locker for everything from sports equipment to boxes of books that haven't been touched since they came off the moving truck in 2006. In one corner of our garage, in a red duffel bag, gathering dust, is my husband's collection of t-shirts. Rock concerts, sailing regattas, I've named it the nostalgia bag. My goal every spring is to purge at least one or two items from that bag. I make him open it, make him look at every single shirt. He immediately goes down memory lane. He can't part with this one or that one. They are too special. They tie him to his past. But every year, without fail, he has a problem identifying one or two. And our rule, well, it's my rule, is that if you don't know where you got it, you can't keep it. This always makes him a little sad, but the good news is that getting rid of those unidentifiable t-shirts makes room in the bag. Room for new t-shirts, maybe even one of those coveted Trinity by the Cove fishing tournament shirts. You never know. No matter what the state of your garage, spring marks a turning point, a fresh start. In church, we're seeing those changes. Lent is coming to a close, and as we approach Holy Week with the retelling of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection, we can feel that surge of life and new growth that always greets us as winter melts into spring. It is that cycle of dying and growing or rising again that is at the heart of our gospel lesson today. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. We might think we know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. We can assume, knowing what the coming days hold, that he's talking about his own death and resurrection. We can pat ourselves on the back and think that we can see what nobody in that crowd back in Jerusalem could. We know how important this is, but do we? Maybe he was talking more about just than just one grain of wheat, and maybe he wasn't talking about his own death, but ours. Let's take a closer look at what Jesus was saying to the crowd. This is the last time that Jesus will speak in public. He has important things to say. He is talking about the judgment of the world and about prophecies being fulfilled and about the end of his earthly mission. But the people aren't listening because they have a very different idea about who the Messiah is going to be and about what the Messiah is going to do. They're expecting a king, after all, a powerful leader who's going to restore the Jews to their rightful place. He certainly isn't going to die. He's only just getting started. And if it, he is this sort of weak king, he must not be the one they were waiting for. What they don't expect or realize is that Jesus is going to rule not by conquest, but by sacrifice. Not by gaining, but by giving up. And that ties back to that grain of wheat. He's trying to tell us 
that we have to be that grain. We have to sacrifice in order to bear fruit. We have to grow by giving up. But how do we do that? What does he expect of us? Are we going to have to die? And then it gets even more confusing. Those who love their lives will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is probably the most challenging statement in the passage. But what if we look at it like this? The Bible is full of stories of people who are forced to leave what they know and love behind and head off into the unknown in order to grow. Think about Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the apostles. They all leave, whether by choice or by necessity, some form of safety, security, possessions, or family. They all give up something they treasure and set off into the unknown with only their faith to guide them. They trust that God will provide. And I imagine that for all of them, there were moments, maybe plenty of them, of fear and doubt. But they trusted anyway. We all experience loss in our lives. It's inevitable. For it is only by giving up something, by losing something, especially something that we love, that we can grow. We leave the security of our parents' homes and strike out on our own and grow into adulthood. Or we send our children off to kindergarten or camp or college, feeling a little, or in my case a lot, of heartbreak with each departure, giving up a piece of ourselves so that our children can grow. We face broken relationships, we change jobs, we move to a new school or a new town, we leave friends and family and pieces of our very lives behind, and it can be painful. Before I head off for my residency year at seminary this summer, I will be ending more than a decade of working with students at Seacrest as their college counselor. I've often told my students that they learn more from failure, from loss, than from success. And when they ask me how that's possible, I point out that by making mistakes, by falling down, by failing the test, or losing the race, or not getting the part in the play, we're forced to examine what happened and to figure out a way to move ahead, a way to grow. Even if we're only talking about a quiz, students push back, fearing that feeling of loss, of failure. It's uncomfortable. It hurts. Nobody wants to hurt. Nobody likes losing. But what makes that loss even more painful and more damaging is when we allow it to define us, when we hang on to the pain because it's familiar instead of growing into something new, as opposed to taking a chance that we might fail yet again, as opposed to having trust and faith that things are going to be okay this time. This is what Jesus means when he says that those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's talking about those who are so fearful of pain or hardship or sorrow that they're unwilling to take that leap of faith and take a chance on following Christ, and they will be left behind. There are certainly painful portions of my life that I don't care to repeat, and all too often, I allow those painful memories to haunt me when I should just let them go. I replay an argument or a bad decision, a gut-wrenching loss, or even an honest mistake over and over again in my head. I keep those attachments stuffed in my nostalgia bag allowing them to weigh me down and hold me back. 
Those are the situations, the grains of wheat, that, in dying, bear the most fruit, because letting go of the memories or connections or possessions or the fears that we're hold, are holding us back creates room for Jesus to do work in our lives. This is where we can remember that our losses are part of that cycle. Failing the quiz and not getting the job, having your heart broken, is part of the cycle. Death is part of the cycle. It isn't the end. Loss and death aren't the final moments. They're the key, the secret, to moving closer to God. We witness it with every baptism, when the new Christian dies through Christ and is born anew through him. We say it every time we celebrate the Eucharist. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Change is in the air. As I look ahead to all the changes that are coming my way in the next year and ponder all the opportunities, large and small, that I will have to fail, to lose, to mess up, I'm tempted to crawl back into my safe little secure kernel of wheat and keep on doing what I know how to do. But is that really how I want to live? Is that how God wants us to live? What can we lose of our old lives in order to love our new lives that are closer to the life of Jesus? What baggage can we let go of? What old t-shirts can we jettison in order to give our faith some room to grow? Sure, we can dig in and cling to all the old stuff, not even knowing or remembering exactly why we have it. Or we can do some spring cleaning of our own souls with faith and trust, prepare ourselves for the Easter miracle that is to come.